0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Barbell Medicine YouTube channel or uh, iTunes or wherever you're getting into this podcast from. This is a question and answer uh, session that Tom Campitelli and I did while we were in Melbourne, Australia this past February. Uh, we've got all sorts of information here like who should and shouldn't do power cleans. Well, So if so, I'm already on the on the verge of saying let's just not do power cleans in general unless you've done them before. Two, you want to be a coach and therefore you need to like do power cleans. Should I do CrossFit with my barbell training? I think most people start doing CrossFit because of, yeah, it's super hard, right? It makes you feel like you're, I got a great workout. And because it's so hard, it's likely to get you in shape, whatever that means to a person faster. You're gonna be leaner, you're gonna be capable and all this other stuff. I would argue that is not the case due to the programming. So stay tuned, Uh, we got about an hour plus of some high quality information for you guys. And thanks again for tuning in. Question, who shouldn't do power cleans so check this out so here here's the general management for power cleans right so it, step one are you over the age of 40 Yes. well so if so I'm already on the on the verge of saying let's just not do power cleans in general unless you've done them before two you want to be a coach and therefore you need to like do power cleans or three somehow it's the only thing that makes your training complete Right? So if that's like, no, 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 then I think, eh, we we'll probably won't do power cleans. Let's say you answered yes to one of them for the sake of this argument. So then you have to learn how to do power cleans. and You have a terrible rack position. You can expose yourself to the rack position as often as possible so that you come, become more comfortable in it. Alternatively, if that doesn't work, so you've spent like a week or two weeks where you've just hammered yourself into the rack position, you're like, I, this is really just not going to work, you learn how to power snatch. And then you learn the entire teaching process for teaching the power clean or the power snatch. It's very similar. But again, if you're not gonna be a coach, if you haven't done them before, and if it doesn't make your life complete, I would do rows instead. Now I know specifically in the book or you know some doctrine that's been handed down, so oh, don't do rows in place of power cleans. That's what every starting strength coach does. And I'm, I will go on the record by saying it's fine to do it. And interestingly, if you asked the 123 starting strength coaches, like I did. If you ask them which movement they would remove from the starting strength novice linear progression, can you guess what it is? The power clean. I like the power cleans. They're fun, especially if you're doing a CrossFit gym. You really trip people out. You know, you load up a you know big a lot of weight, and they're like, "What are you doing at deadlifts?" Some casual power cleans. All right. Next question. Uh, what should I do with long-standing non-specific low back pain?
1: So, specifically with you, because it was actually getting worse as we went along, you want to figure out uh, what it is that's irritating it, like if you are lifting too much too soon, if your back, if your back is upset with you, uh, allow it to like give it as much work as you can without further upsetting it. Like, you went from squatting to deadlifting and then as we deadlifted, it got significantly worse. So we backed you down to a weight where it actually wasn't worse. If you find that squatting really heavy bothers it, then maybe you need a little less weight. Uh, And further, if you have acutely pissed something off, you may need to allow it to come down for between one to three days uh, and like actually not beat on it and then just start providing Providing an appropriate amount of work uh, if you need to, uh, NSAIDs can help with pain. Uh, and I won't, uh, like, you can you could use like the whole uh, take a bunch of ibuprofen for three or four days just to knock it down and then train on it. Uh, as, as much as you can. As somebody who has injured their back several times, at least two or three of them during lifting. Not training on it is not a good idea, but at the same time, you don't want to continually piss it off and turn like a minor tweak into like a chronic ache. Uh,
0: Yeah, also, we have a lot of stuff on back pain and management thereof that I would tell you to read. It's on the Barbell Medicine website and our YouTube channel the podcast. So just general management. But yeah, I agree. I mean, the general thing for, tr- for injuries, tr- do as much as you can that doesn't set you back, you know. So my general rule of thumb is if something gets, is becoming more and more painful throughout the set, right, for staying the same or improving, then either the range of motion or the intensity is too high for the given injury. So the management would be to either find then if, it, if it's the range of motion, you know, then you switch to a different variation. Uh, or if it's the intensity, you take the weight down. And, but the idea is to progress back to normal. Yeah, all right. Next question. When will you guys be coming back to Australia? Yeah, so I probably would come back in a year. I mean, the thing is, every time we come here, it's always a crapshoot, right? So like this time, we came just under the barbell medicine sort of uh, a th- a thing, and I was like, I'm not sure how this is gonna work. You know, it's kind of nervous, because was like, who the hell's heard of me, Yeah. You know? Uh, and it worked out pretty well, and I think coming as we come back more and more often, we develop more and more relationships, people know about us, and then we can kind of figure out, all right, so here's the market, here's what people want to do, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to come back and do a full-on barbell medicine seminar, where you get to learn about a, theor- you know, a lot of the theory, there's more lifting involved, Baraki's here, Tom's here, Leah's here, Alan Thrall comes with us, and it's a big party, you know? I mean, not, you know, not like in a weird way, but in a fun way. So yeah, I would imagine sometime in the next year, we'll come back through Australia. Maybe, maybe not New Zealand. New Zealand is cool. I just feel the market is much smaller there, you know? Yeah, there's four million people in New Zealand. Oh, is that true? I think so. No offense to New Zealanders, you guys are great. You have great beaches. You talk to the camera. You talk to the camera, yeah. <laughs> so these Kiwi, these, no, these Maori people are gonna be like, oh, this guy, and then I'm, you know, can't show my face anywhere. People on the internet are sensitive. I said in a thread somewhere, I said Mar- anything associated with Mark Bell is bro science, which I do, I believe that to my, in my core. Not like my core, but like my heart. And uh, some guy on Twitter was like, man, you're the dumbest person I've ever seen. Mark Bell's a genius. And I was like, oh wow, look, if that's where we're starting this, we're, I feel like we're just too far apart. All right, so the next question is, how should I incorporate barbell training into CrossFit? Stuff? Any wad. Yeah. 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 But let's talk about this for a second.
1: <laughs> I know where you're going with this too. Sure, good. Why are you doing crossfit?
0: Um, I don't know. It, it scares me, I think. So I like going in and like not knowing how far I can go, and it's like a mental thing as well. Like I want to be able to push myself. I think when I look at it and I'm like, fuck, that looks impossible. You know what I mean? And sure, I'm sure. like, let me just give it a shot. Sure. And sometimes I surprise myself. Yeah, so we're well, right, so I feel like, <laughs> so I think that experience is not, is not unique to just CrossFit. Now let me, let me pry a little further. So let's say that you got really good at dealing with those demons, Yeah. but you gained 15 pounds and it was half muscle, half body fat, and you're yeah. plus two sizes, yeah. and you're, is that a cool trade-off? Yeah. What, what? You just told me the whole reason you're doing CrossFit is because you wanna get over the fears of stuff. Yeah seems like that's probably not the full answer. I think most people start doing CrossFit because of, yeah, it's super hard, right? It yeah, makes yeah. you feel like you're, I got a great workout. Yeah. And because it's so hard, it's likely to get you in shape, whatever that means to a yeah, person, yeah. Yeah. faster. It, you're gonna be leaner, you're gonna be capable, and all this other stuff. I would argue that is not the case, due to the programming, right? So. Things that are going to get you leaner include calorie restriction, which CrossFit, that's not, you know, I guess yes. you could be fat shamed enough if you go into CrossFit and everyone else is, su- is super lean, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, not eat as much because yeah. I don't want to be around all these people. <laughs> no. Yeah, so you, that would work, but there's no, like, that's not intrinsic to CrossFit. You can do that with any exercise, right? Um, and then if you're like, oh, well, it's going to make me strong, and I'm like, well, no, not, not necessarily. The, if the strength programming isn't on point. Oh, it's going to make me more conditioned. Well, no, not necessarily if, the, if it isn't programmed. So, so what I'm getting at is that there are no unique qualities that CrossFit develops better than any, like, a, a traditional strength and conditioning program other than other than going into a, a group setting and exercising with friends, right? And I think that's useful. But, but you don't have to do CrossFit to do that. Yeah, I totally saying. No, I totally do. Yeah. So anyway, if your boyfriend does CrossFit, whatever, like that's fine. Like you can, like you guys don't have to break up or anything. You just tell them Just, just tell them that you know you want to get strong and you have, you you have reason to believe that you are genetically pre predestined to be very strong if you develop the, your uh, the strength. Yeah. So if I would predict your progress a year from now, you'd be squatting well over hundred for reps you'll be power cleaning 70 to 80 for reps and you know deadlifting 150s 160s no problem. And your body composition will be whatever you decide it to be. Yeah. So, and I don't think you ha- CrossFit's going to make put you in a better place than that. Thanks. Uh, so I'll
1: keep Let's repeat the question.
0: Sure. So the question is about coaching people, like how to do like how to fit this in an hour or a, a some sort of personal training sort of situation. All right. So you have a few options. Option number one is group people up, small groups, where you actually can have a two-hour session, you know, and so you have like three or four people and they're all sharing the rack and they're squatting and pressing and deadlifting and you just, uh, it's 90 minutes to two hours, that's fine because you get adequately compensated enough for your time at that point. And also, they're not, not, no individual is paying you for two hours of your time. They all get to share, uh, share the, the, the cost. So that's option one. Option two, If you focus on two lifts each session, which is totally doable in two hours, is it optimal? Well, no, not necessarily, but it's better than focusing on what everybody else at the commercial gym is focusing on. You mean one hour, correct? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So two lifts in one hour. Yeah, okay. You said
1: two lifts in two hours.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, so you could squat and press in an hour, you know, and that's fine. At some point, you'll be able to trust them and say, yeah, now I want you to deadlift. Or now I want you to, you know. But so how I did it when I was in a commercial gym setting where everything is booked on an hour, Right? So they'd squat and press, and the next time they come in, they deadlift bench, and then they'd squat and press. That was kind of my, the way I ran them through a modified LP. <sighs> Unfortunately, this day, in this day and age, people will, while they will recognize people who are actual subject matter experts in this stuff, and in general, that's, that's a good sales point for them, you may need to play the game a little bit in order to build your clientele. What I mean by that is people want to feel like, oh, my God, I just got a really hard workout in, or, oh, like, my, my core is killing me. Whatever. Look, man, it, it, you're trying to get clients, right? So, it's like, a, 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 a leader... Knew a, too much. Well, so I'm saying, no, a leader with no followers is just a guy taking a walk, right? So, you'd be the greatest coach in the world, and you have no, no clients, you're not a coach. You're just a dude like, wants to train people but can't. So you may need to do something like have them push a prowler or do some high-intensity interval sprints on a recumbent bike or something just to be like, oh, and now we're gonna do this high-intensity interval training, and you can say this is very good for a fat loss. And not, you're not lying to them, it's true, even if you would rather them just strength train, okay? Uh, if you teach them how to brace effectively, right, and you have them like practice that a few times at the end of the session or whatever, they're gonna have, they're gonna have doms in their abs the next day and be like, oh my gosh, I've just got this great core workout, and you're like, I really just want you to squat, but, you know. But look, again, I want you, are you gonna work in a commercial gym? Uh, no, no, I'm not my small business. Yeah, it's just, you have to get clients, right? Like, that's the thing. And so, I think that until the general public's intelligence and knowledge of act, legitimate strength conditioning gets, you know, much, much higher, right? At which point, CrossFit crumbles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. Look, nobody's gonna pay $200 a month for people who can't coach movement, can't program movement, and to hang out with 19 other people you know, going crazy. That, I mean, really, it's not gonna happen. Tom's, Tom's like, <laughs> he thinks of the day that this may happen. So in order for you to get clients, I, I think that at some point you're gonna have to do that. Right? So that, was, that would be my general, my general first workout would be teach somebody how to squat, have them squat up to a heavy set of five, Right, and usually that would take long enough where I couldn't have them do three sets of five, so I'd have them do two sets of five. Uh, and all the warm-ups in general would make them sore, their legs are sore, okay, good thing. Then I have them do presses, same sort of deal, right? And then their arms are kind of sore because they've never pressed before. And then I would teach them how to brace, and their abs are sore, and then I put them on a prowler, sled, or a bike for a couple sprints so they, you know, they're out of breath. And it's like, okay, legs, arms, abs are all sore, was laid out at the end a little bit, even though it didn't really, you know, wreck them for the next few days. Yeah, it's fine. That's that's the way I did it. Um.
1: Something else you can do is intersperse their warm-ups with their work sets. Yep. So yeah. So like hard. while they're squatting their work sets, you can be warming them up for the press. That will help to keep sessions shorter too.
0: Uh, can you get stronger and lose weight at the same time? I mean my experience with my my, my client panel, right? not my patient panel, but my client panel, has been that losing weight and getting stronger is not terribly difficult to do. Programming just has to be appropriate. So if you take two twins, previously never trained before, one twin is okay with gaining a bunch of body weight, one twin absolutely refuses to gain body weight or will gain it much sl- more slowly over time well the one who's going to gain more weight his novice linear progression is going to be more robust and last longer and he'll be stronger at the end okay and then when he starts his intermediate program for a from a stronger standpoint as long as his programming is appropriate he'll probably end up getting stronger than uh than his you know twin brother who won't gain any weight but the twin brother who won't gain weight will still get stronger it'll just be less so anything that compromises optimal training, recovery, <laughs> I think, will compromise outcomes. So that includes a job where you work a ton or has a, a lot of stress, a poor interpersonal relationship where you don't have a good support structure, uh, you can't eat enough due to whatever you know, thing, any sort of medical process. So any one of those things will all compromise your training outcomes, but you can still get stronger. It's just slower takes longer. And you need more input to get a smaller output. Robin, at the ripe old age of 73, can still get stronger even if she doesn't gain an a, a ounce of body weight. Okay, still get stronger. Now she's going to need more training to get less of a response than if she did this when she was 43. Just that's just you know, yeah, is is what it is. So the real question is. If you have somebody who won't gain weight, do you just yell at them until they gain weight? Yeah. Well, that's one thing you can do until, until you just realize, hey, not everybody has the same goals, has the same value system, and that's fine, too. I just want everybody training, right? If you don't want to be a world-class powerlifter or you know, strength person, that's fine.
1: More room for me. You know? <laughs> like, if we
0: keep attracting all these... these Look,
1: if you don't weigh more than... 308, are you really trying? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, pe- so, so, I get a lot of questions like, you know, how much should I weigh? Right? I'll be doing an Instagram Live, or whatever, and people are like, oh, how much should I weigh? I'm six foot three or whatever. You know, and I'm like, well, what do you want to do in your life? And they're like, I want to be as strong as possible. I'm like, no, you don't because otherwise you'd have already been taking steps to get there. So yeah, you're six foot three, how strong should you be or how much should you weigh? And what should you do to get as strong as possible? Well, you should probably weigh well over 300 pounds. Uh, You probably need to move into your parents' basement so you don't have to work, you know, so you can just, you know, live for free. Yeah, exactly. Right, you live, yeah, you live under the gym, right? And you get to train all day. Also, you should start doing drugs like now, so that (laughs) way, you know. Well, I'm serious, you know, so it's just, People don't have the same value systems and i think everything needs to be qualified
1: <laughs> and that's okay i just want everybody training
0: all right so this particular question is about overtraining and what we thought about it
1: genuine overtraining is extremely rare yeah yeah i've i've never seen it in strength sports
0: um and i think this is important here's it's important to d- discuss two things well three things one those birds I'm not sure of what's up with them.
1: I don't even know if they're inside. I don't know if they're inside or just really close to on the outside. Of the thing.
0: If you're listening or watching at home, I don't. I, we don't have bird like sound effect going. This is like, <laughs> These are real birds. Um, so there's a difference between stress and fatigue, right? And, and I'll, I'll just make this definition here. So a stress is anything that compromises your ability to perform. Okay. So your performance level is here. This is your baseline performance. Okay. When you apply a stress to that, it goes down right? Now, if it is a useful stress in that it it improves whatever outcome that you're trying to attain, like strength, like hypertrophy, like conditioning, whatever it is, then that is useful fatigue. If I light you on fire, that is a lot of stress, but it does not contribute to any outcome other than to, you know, make you a little darker. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right. So, I find that most cases of quote-unquote overtraining, it's just an application of terribly programmed stress, right? That's inappropriate for the goal that's trying to be obtained, right? Yeah. So it's somebody doing, you know, a ton and ton of, of, uh, of hypertrophy work, whatever, when their goal is like pure strength, you know, uh, increase. And there's time and a place for hypertrophy work, certainly. But, you know, if you're going in and you're doing just straight up bodybuilding stuff for like, you know, six to eight weeks and there's no element of like, progressive strength overload, and you're wondering, well, why didn't my strength get better? It's like, well, The specificity of adaptation to impose demand, the said principle, would predict that, in fact, your strength would not have improved from doing very general or non-specific work, you know? Um, so I, I've seen overtraining in endurance athletes, and, here, and the definition or the telltale sign is they keep doing more and more training, and they're not getting better at all fact they're getting worse and there's sleep disruptions there's bona fide hormonal disruptions but that's like ultra marathon distance uh, endurance stuff so I don't see it in strength I don't see in the strength things if you train too much and it's appropriate type of stress it's producing useful fatigue you just get too strong you know
1: most most people will not allow themselves to become overtrained You, you have to be like borderline manic, because you will have lots of, you will have lots of markers, it, you will feel very badly. Well right, the, the central governor model of fatigue,
0: which is effectively your brain will shut down, mo- like force production at the level of the muscle, or decrease it to a point where you cannot take yourself to a dangerous place, will shut you down far before you are at risk of like really hurting yourself. So the overtraining thing, I, mm, I don't buy it. No, well, I'm just saying. I think people will apply a bunch of non-specific stress and be unhappy with their outcomes and call it overtraining because they felt like they were working really hard. And I, I don't doubt that you were working really hard. You just didn't know what you were doing. We've all been there. You know? The next question is, how do you know when you're no longer a novice? Stop doing. You're doing the novice in your progression, but you're not a novice. That's it. Look, man. So check this out. How do you know if you're not a novice? Ready? Copy and you just told me that's what's happening. The answer is simple, you expect, look, you expect that your novice and your progression to go longer, right? Oh, I I see, okay, so so you're suggesting that your form is decreasing to a point where you don't feel comfortable going up any further, even though you still think you can do novice LP, to a weight that's not making you any stronger, but your form is better. So my, my, my counter argument to this is that you are attempting to work at intensities that are too high for you to maintain relatively good form, right, and therefore make progress with relatively good form, and you are no longer able to progress with the current programming. So it's just a different way of failing the novice linear progression. My point is that you can probably be better served by switching to a different programming model where the weights were a little bit less intense, although the productive fatigue was, was more. So I, I think the answer is the same. Yeah, and, and so, so, yeah, the, uh, a question would be, when is it useful to grind out your, the novice linear progression, right? Really, if the, the form is breaking down frequently and significantly, is it useful to grind that out? And I think the answer to that is no, almost never, because what is the payoff? Payoff is it lasts a little while longer, but you're exposing yourself to bad movement me- mechanics, right? And at that limit, you're likely inducing more fatigue than benefit. It doesn't mean that you should never, like, make modifications to the novice linear progression to make it go a little further. But I think if form is the, is the issue, and it keeps being the issue, then you have to switch. Yeah, that'd kind of be my, my management at that point. So, the cool thing is, now you're an intermediate. Now we get to do some cool stuff, right? Isn't it going to be more fun on this side?
1: You know? If only that were true.
0: Yeah, I think it's more fun. Actually, it's not true. So I never ran a novice linear progression. Didn't. I spent a year running through what, would, what people would call a novice LP, but I just did it inefficiently. I was doing the lifts once per week, adding weight each time, and doing a bunch of other silly stuff. And I got reasonably strong. So at the end of the first year, I squatted 227.5 kilos. Yeah, I benched 165 kilos for a double, and I had deadlifted 250. Um, that was the end of my first year. It took me six years to pass those numbers. Because okay. I, I did a lot of stupid stuff and I still didn't know how to train. I think one of the best parts about Novice LP is it teaches you how to train and how to think about your training and organize it and make it a priority. That's one of many positive aspects of, of Novice LP. That said, it's, sometimes it's time to move on. Next question is thoughts on the sumo deadlift.
1: Um, I, uh, I don't have the same level of vitriol for the sumo deadlift as some people do. Um, Define I do, vitriol. <laughs> uh, I don't have any of my trainees trained sumo that pull conventionally. I think there are some people for whom uh, a sumo deadlift may work a little better, especially like if someone cannot get their back flat and they're experiencing back irritation and going to like um, a slightly wider stance uh, enables them to do that and relieves their back irritation, lovely. I don't know that there's a ton of carryover from sumo to conventional aside from just like sort of general volume, you know? Uh, Like, similar similar movements do influence one another, right? Um, Yeah. The, I would choose another deadlift variant over sumo if someone's training conventionally. Uh, and there are a number of people, there are a number of sumo deadlifters that that incorporate some conventional training into their their deadlift because the, the sumo, sumo deadlift winds up being a little bit more like a squat and that you're more upright. Uh, so like actually having to be leaned over a little bit more at, in a conventional, can train the back in ways that's helpful for sumo. Um, not my first choice, but at the same time, like, there are there are times where I could see it potentially being useful.
0: Uh, yeah, it's pretty much... Yeah. It's a non-specific deadlift variation for so many pulls conventional. I think you can use it in where somebody cannot train their conventional deadlift productively, consistently over time, but they could, they can do it with sumo, do sumo deadlifts, better not deadlifting, right? Uh, In certain GPP blocks, so general physical preparedness for a, a intermediate to advanced level lifter, sometimes I'll have them not deadlift conventional and have them only sumo for a few weeks, two to three weeks, as sort of a washout period where they if they previously had gotten almost desensitized to doing some volume on the regular deadlift. Now they do sumo, it's completely different. It's like a washout period. So when they go back to conventional, they're like, ah, they get a robust effect from training it. I don't think it does anything unique. Yeah, it's just to me, honestly, so I make it, it's the same to me as a close grip bench and a regular bench, right? People are like close grip bench for will fry your triceps. I'm like, nah, it's just more benching, the closer grip. What was the question? It, about being a, uh, the pros and cons of being a starting strength coach, would I recommend? All right. I should put this one on the internet ASAP.
1: <laughs> All right, so,
0: so, so you live here yeah. in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. There are no starting strength coaches in Melbourne. You would have a very large market of people who are clearly interested in this stuff, right? And you will get business from being a starting strength coach, period. Uh, the skills that you have to ota- obtain in order to be a starting strength coach would put you in rarefied air as far as how to actually coach the lifts themselves. And I think the cost is nominal mainly because getting other certifications require a s- substantial cost anyway. You know, It may be cheaper to do something in Australia, but that would not improve your skill set. So, <sighs> If I, if I had reason to believe that you could, within the next year, uh, go to a starting strength seminar, pass, and then be a starting strength coach, I would recommend doing that. If it's going to take you longer, or a significant amount of resources, in either lost wages, or <laughs> you have to take the seminar two or three times in order to pass, then I think that becomes a little mur- more murky. You know? But right now, the market is thick, Uh, You would be the only show in town, and you'd make a killing. There's nobody in this town who can do what we just did. You would be that person. And I know that sound, you're like, oh, this guy sounds cocky. It's like, look, I want there to be, right? I want to be, there's somebody in Brisbane that I can refer you to, but there's not. 99.9% of all people in the fitness industry are trash. Not like trashy people, but it's like trash. Like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the scope of their limitations. These are the people who tell you that carbs are bad or fruit will kill you or weird stuff and you're just like all right stop and that and that and we haven't even talked about coaching movement yet i mean okay show of hands how many people have heard that weight should be in your heels when you squat at some point from somebody in the i mean everybody like this is like total this is if you work in a commercial gym that's the line right but it's vehement you know vehemently wrong and that's not, you're, you've just eliminated 90% of all trainers across the world, and now we're left with the 9.9% who let's say other weird stuff, you know, like we should like we should do this functional movement screen, right? All right, so it's another 5% that's fallen off. <laughs> so you would put yourself in rarefied air. The market is big; you could do well with it. It does not mean that there are not other useful things to learn afterwards. The Programming intermediate stuff. That's you you know having starting strength certification doesn't qualify you to do that. Um, but the process of going through the seminar, taking the test, passing it, equips you for learning that stuff. Yeah. So anyway, that's my take. I would do it if it's not gonna if, if you're if it's not gonna take you over a year to do it and three seminars or something like that, something weird. There's a guy, isn't there a guy here who tried to pass it? No comment. Oh, yeah. Twice. (laughs) Failed. No comment. (laughs) It's not an easy thing to pass, Uh, but gosh, you would kill it, man. If you're familiar enough with the forum so that when you are asked a question, you can answer it, I think you're reasonably ready. When I went through, it was funny because Rip would be given a lecture and then ask a question. I already knew the answer because I was familiar enough with his material. The people who go and fail have not coached enough people on this method or have not read all the stuff that's out there. And you're like, well, of course you didn't pass. You don't, you're not familiar enough with the material. All right, so the next question is, what are the health benefits of strength training? Well, so we're in the process of writing, uh, well, we submitted our first revision of this article, uh, basically strength training and the results that it has uh, on outcomes in healthcare. So stuff like heart attack, what does it do for blood pressure, stroke, Uh, depression, obesity arthritis, stuff like that it would be very difficult for me to summarize all of the findings in a way that wasn't uh, either too general (laughs) to be meaningful uh, or too specific to be concise so what I will tell you is that making yourself stronger would prevent you from suffering any early mortality at this point in your life Further, it would make your life more meaningful and your quality of life would improve. You're able to do things more independently. You're less likely to fall and break a hip. You're less likely to have something tragic happen to you because you're just deconditioned, sarcopenic, you've lost a bunch of muscle or otherwise frail. I mean, we look at data and people over the age of 65, and we wonder why people with grade one obesity and people who are overweight end up living longer than those with normal BMIs, and it's because they're less frail. And you, one of one of the reasons, you know, if you're very sick, you end up ha- losing weight and you know, kind of moving down the BMI. So I don't want you to be frail and I don't want you to be weak. I want you to be strong and have vigor, and be able to do whatever you want to make those years meaningful. Right? If you live to 95, but the, it's terrible and you're bed bound and you can't do anything on your own what's the point right yeah so i'd like you to be strong and independent and i also selfishly like to see you deadlift 80 kilos because that would be cool <laughs> so for those at home I'll, i have this video so i can put it on here so this woman robin 73 years of age never touched the barbell before comes in today works up to very easy very good looking 45 kilos for a set of five deadlift and that's pretty cool and to the extent that you can modify how the rest of your life is gonna go, strength training is gonna help. Does that mean you shouldn't do any cardio like briskly walking around the block or dragging a sled like they have here? Well, I think you should do that too. And uh, that being said, if you have three hours a week because of your other commitments that you can dedicate towards physical activity, I would spend 90% of them under a barbell. 90% of that time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just can't tell you the relative risk ratio of your, you know, it's, it would just be a lot of numbers.
1: I also, I also think it's important to point out that, uh, there is a correlation between strength and longevity, but, uh, it's not like if you start lifting weights, you will live longer. We, we couldn't, we couldn't tell you that.
0: Right. Yeah. That would be,
1: it'd be a good selling
0: point. (laughs) I would open up a gym. Yep but yeah, CrossFit longevity. Oh, it's probably already taken.
1: Yeah, I think it is.
0: But I'm just saying, just lift this thing. CrossFit duodenum? Yeah, yeah, CrossFit DBT. There's a CrossFit aorta in Germany. Is there really? Yeah, which, I don't know. Right. CrossFit A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, right. All right. The next question is, I'm at the end of LP and need to lose weight. Uh, can I get stronger and what should I do? You have the ability, you still have the ability to get stronger. You're just, look, the return on your investment from Tom of the gym is just going to be less than it would be if you were going to gain weight. Now, there are other reasons to lose weight, <laughs> you know, and, and I think the benefits of losing weight for a guy like you probably outweigh the, you know, slowed strength, strength gains. So I would do, I would switch to intermediate programming. Um, I would start incorporating conditioning uh, one day per week and I would eat in a calorie deficit such that your weight gradually trends down and you know, rinse, lather, or you know, lather, rinse, repeat on that. Uh, the bridge is something that we kind of put out there for that, I think you'd be a perfect candidate for something like that. It's got a day of conditioning in there and it switches to two days of conditioning towards the end as you build up you know, tolerance to that. And you kind of just would keep running that until you either weren't responding by getting any stronger or you didn't need to lose any more weight and then you could switch to something else. That makes sense? Yeah, that's kind of the same process. So people are always like, oh, how many times should I run the bridge? I'm like, well, keep running until it stops working. That's the LP, right? How long should you run the LP? Keep going until it stops working. Once you've identified that you're no longer responding to the stress level of fatigue that's been generated, then you have to do something else. And So I think I, I agree with your management so far. If you said, hey, man, I want to start losing weight today, I'd be like, that's fine. Your LP might last one week, Less, and it's just a it's a risk it's a cost benefit thing. What's your how old are you? Forty three. Forty three. Yeah. At some point, at some point, for some people, certain contexts, losing weight is more important than getting stronger as fast as possible. While I would still say that getting stronger in general is possible even while you're losing weight, it's just going to be slower. Next question is: Can you gain muscle while you're in a calorie deficit? Uh, well, yes, yes, and yes. So, can you gain? Skeletal muscle tissue while you're in a calorie deficit. Yes, until you get like later on down the line where it's, it's just an
1: early intermediate
0: yeah, probably an early intermediate who's got a significant amount of weight to lose. You know, um, later on you're just one, you're not building as much muscle in response to training anyway, right? Because you've already built a a bunch of muscle muscle compared to your genetic like cap, and then two, uh, you're just responding less to training. I mean, and you're in calorie deficit. But early on, certainly. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so what you see is people's waist circumference goes down, their body fat goes down, lean body mass goes up, and these are generally like either novice or early intermediate type folks. Later on, not, not so much, um, particularly advanced lifters, um, even, on, even on drugs, so there's, there's that. Can you get stronger without gaining muscle mass? Yes, uh, probably, you know, it depends on who you read and, and your overall take on the science. Um, somewhere between 60 to 80% of strength gains uh, are, have to do with muscle cross-sectional area improvements. Uh, neurological stuff happens. You also get better at the exercise. And performance, it depends on what you're, what you're tracking for strength, right? One RM squat, one rep max squat is your objective sort of outcome. You can get better at performing that without necessarily getting stronger. Does that kind of make sense? Like you have some sort of strength developed that you were unable to display, and so there's, so there's other factors that go into that. Yeah, and, and just to like generating the, the ability to perform. So uh, if you know, let's say your five rep max, we used this last time when we were in New Zealand, if your five rep max is 560 pounds or uh, 255 kilos, right? And that equates to about a one rep max of 628. Now, on the day that you did 560 for a set of, uh, sorry, a 560 for a set of four, would be about a 628 pound. One rep max. On the day that you did the 560 for four, you may not have actually been able to do 628 for a single because you have not practiced enough at doing singles. It's a skill in and of itself. You also may not have been motivated to the correct level to do one. I mean, there's a handful of things, right? So your performance on certain objective outcomes that you may be tracking can improve even without an improvement in muscle cross-sectional area neuromuscular efficiency, stuff like that. And then finally, neuromuscular efficiency does, can, can get better over time I'm more so like the novice, more so like as a novice. Well, I don't know, I mean, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily, especially, especially as you keep getting better at the lift, you know, I mean, think about the difference in your technique. How long have you been lifting now? Like two and a half years. Yeah. So think about year one, uh, three months in yeah. and you're and now after that, you're significantly better at doing the lifts now. Even if you're like hard on yourself and you're like, well, but I'm not perfect. Well, listen, man, 10 years from now, you're still not going to be perfect. Okay? You'll just be 10 years older. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. All right, next question is, what is the difference between the Bridge 1.0 versus 2.0? Yeah, so the difference, there's a little a little more volume in Bridge 2.0. The exercise selection is a little bit different. Um, yeah, we just got basically how this works. I have a handful of beta testers that I send programs to, and I try to match them, I pair match them. I'm like, oh, you guys are about the same in my mind, which is obviously not necessarily exact, but, and then I just see uh, how they do. There's an A-B program, A-B, A-B, and I do that enough times to feel like I'm doing something scientific where it's like, you, people in general respond better to a certain type of programming. Like I said, we've had thousands of data points go through Barbell Medicine uh, in our programming, and I feel reasonably confident that what we're putting out there is generally good, um, 10 years from now, our programs will be way better than they are now, and so I'm sorry to everyone right now. We're going to be better in the future because of my shortcomings now. Next question is, what are your thoughts on using RPE during training? So yeah, and I think, you know, Tom and I have been fleshing this out on this whole trip. I think, so when you go into a workout, you have to have quantitative data and quantitative goals. And what I mean by that is just numbers, right? So. Let's say one day I squatted 200 for a set of five and 230 for a single. Like that was, let's just say. All right? That was, let's, just say that was a wor- let's just say that was a workout. So that's quantitative data, right? So
1: everyone knows
0: what our TV is. Everyone oh, yeah, yeah, I will. I, I'm gonna get there. Sorry. So, <laughs> so let's just say that that was a workout week one. Week two, going in, I know that I would like to do more than that 230 and 200. So maybe in my mind, I have 232 and a half and 202 and a half. Like I'm like, oh, I just would like to go up two and a half kilos, okay? So that's my quantitative goal, numbers. The first workout I also believe you need a qualitative data point. Now that could be bar speed measured in meters per second, could be in RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, basically tells you how hard the thing was, right? So if that single on that at 2.30 on week one felt like I could have done it for a triple, like three reps, I would rate it RPE eight, All right? Now the following week, I'm pretty confident that if I load 232 and a half, it's gonna go for repetition, right? But if it's much harder than it was the week before, okay? Did I actually get stronger? Well, no, I just think that I did a harder rep. You see what I'm saying? If I rated it as a nine, for instance, on the second week, even though it was two and a half kilos heavier, I think I'm the same strength as I was the first week. Yeah, yeah. so basically I use the qualitative and quantitative data together to say, how fast am I getting stronger and also predict my training loads. So if while warming up, something that should have felt like RPE7 feels like RPE8, I'm like, okay, I need to take some off my... So
1: if you RPE8 RPE means I could do two more?
0: Yeah, I could do a triple with it. Yeah. Like t- three total. Yeah, two more reps. I don't think it's terribly difficult. I think that there's fuzz, right? And it's, what's most interesting is, let's say that I, there's a really explosive person, right? They're very athletic. Their RPE 9, like they have one rep left, may look like an RPE 7 and be like, oh my gosh, that was so fast. You could add 30 kilos to this, right? And then they do, and it doesn't even move, right? And so for me to tell somebody else what RPE that was without knowing them for a long period of time is inappropriate. It doesn't mean I can't give them like brackets. Like, yeah, that looks really fast. I would suggest, I think that's a little lighter. Well, everybody uses it. Everybody uses RPE even if they don't have the RPE scale. Tom, when you've got a person who comes in and you're tr- coaching them and you're like, wow, these warm-ups look terrible. You're gonna back a little bit of weight off. You're, you might collect more data on their warm-up sets, say, hey, let's do another one at this other weight just to find out.
1: In fact, I may have even done that here. I mean, when we're looking at people going around the room, people always tell us kind of what they're gonna do and sometimes quantitative yeah sometimes i'll you know think okay and then as i'm watching their warm-ups if they are grinding on some of their warm-ups it's obvious they're not going to be able to handle their the weight that they want to so you back them off and when you think about even how somebody starts a novice linear progression what how do you determine what the first weight that you do is you are looking for where the bar starts to slow down when the person's starting to work a little bit harder. So even though that's not getting a number assigned to it, that is like some sort of judgment of perceived exertion. Yeah,
0: so the idea, we use RPE to make sure that the stress that's being applied in a workout produces useful fatigue. It, so the paradigm that heavier is always better, well, I think is an overstatement, because heavier is not always better, better is better. If a heavier weight applies a bunch of stress, but doesn't produce as much useful fatigue, it's less useful. If I can get a better result from less weight because it's the more appropriate stressor, then clearly that's a better, better use. And so I think having the quantitative, these are the planned numbers for the day, right? And then qualitative, this is how hard the thing felt, and, and you know someone is practiced in that, I think that's how you have to train. I mean, that's how everyone, again, everyone in this room, besides, besides her, besides Robin, has gone in and said, "Wow, this feels really bad." And your initial inclination is, "All right, maybe I should adjust my workout." And the, ideally, you do another few sets to either confirm or deny your suspicion. <laughs> well, another few sets, right? You're like, "Oh, maybe it was just, you know, it's fine." And anyway, so I think RPE can be super useful. I think using uh, bar speed can be super useful. And I think ignoring those two things ignores much of the experience of training. Like, you know, the feelings that you experience during training are probably uh, uh, a significant contributor to how much uh, stress you're getting from the workout and what you're ultimately gonna do going forward, right? If you start dreading your squat workouts, you have anxiety and you're like, oh no. And so, you're, you know, that, that's a thing, that's an issue. You have to take into consideration. So. All right, this next question has to do with uh, in-person coaching, online coaching, and how you can tell if a coach is good or not. Yeah, I guess it depends, you know, if, uh, well, if you have somebody you can't coach the lift in person.
1: How would
0: you know? Yeah. How
1: would This, you is, know? this is actually, this is a tough question. I mm. can,
0: I can see it, right? If I'm there, yeah. I can watch them coach somebody and I'm like, <laughs> bad. Yeah, I think, you know, so probably for, for form checks, stuff like that, you want somebody who's familiar with the starting strength model. That's
1: just good, it?
0: Yeah, if you're familiar with it and can coach it or some derivation of it. Which means online. Well, there may be a guy or gal in Perth who knows this stuff. I, I don't know. I doubt it. You want to know something? All right, hold on. So this, this kid's jacked right here, right? You know, he's, he's got a broad shoulders, nice nice chin on him Uh, you put him and I in a commercial gym we both have shirts that say trainer who's better (laughs) nobody knows right you would know after paying a session right and I think that's the only way you find out unless somebody comes pre-vetted yeah it's unfortunate man I don't know I don't have any contacts in Perth so that's tough I think you know you're if you wanted some suggestions you go to a powerlifting gym and ask hey you guys doing any coaching but, but it's risky. No, I know what would happen. That's uh, to Yeah. And then you're going to do box squats. And you're going to look up. You're going to, you know, sumo deadlift because how else do you deadlift? And God love these people. Without them, you know, if everyone was like us, we wouldn't have a business. <laughs> I'm serious. Look, if everyone could coach very, very well, we wouldn't be here. Yes. And
1: so online?
0: Yeah, online can be super useful. So, so. Two options online coaching, not two options. Like, there's plenty of options, people who can coach you well. All right. I find that the more experienced your online coach is, the better that's gonna be. Just because they've seen more of the stuff and have figured out ways to best deal with that. They have more tools in their tool- toolbox, right? That's one thing. Two, you want somebody who's going to give you the appropriate amount of feedback, but not overwhelm you. For instance, I don't want to give you feedback on all three of your lifts all three days of your training if you're doing the novice for linear progression. Why? That's overwhelming. What are you going to go do to the gym? You have to print out this you know, long scroll and say, well, then he said I do this, and then do this. No, I want to take your squat, and I want to work on that first. right? And once that's, I feel like that's repeatable, acceptable, and you can go train that way, I might get spot checks on it just to say, yep, still looks good, right? Or just look at the video and say, that's fine. Then I'd move to a different lift. Where's that? What do you mean? Send your video. Send me feedback. Yep. Like Try and incorporate that. Send your new video. Yeah, it's actually just works. yeah, it's just instead of instead of doing it live in person, we do it session to session.
1: Yep. it's better than not getting feedback. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, unless you're getting many, bad feedback. How many people <laughs> in here, uh, like after a great deal of queuing, started to feel something different when they were lifting? And like, oh, yeah. that's so you've got the problem of mm. the delay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I, can't tu- I can't touch you, which sometimes I'd like to do for coaching. Uh, okay. And then also sometimes the, the filming itself is a barrier. Like, oh man, I really wish I could see this for, from a different angle. Uh, but yeah, I, instead of doing real time feedback, like, you know, lift to lift, it's session to session. So it's just as effective, it just takes? My experience has been that uh, in most cases, it's equally as effective or marginally less effective, but yeah. not, yeah. there are some things where I'm like, I mean, honestly, I have online clients right now that I've been working with for years that I would almost at that point pay them to go see coach in person because I cannot fix it. And so somebody with it would just fire you, you can't do it, you know? It's unethical of you to take their money if you can't fix their technique. And I'm like, well, we're trying. We're, it's better than nothing. And if they weren't paying me to do this, they'd pay somebody else to do it and they would You're do a worse job. <laughs> That's, well. My goal is not to have a thousand people doing it perfectly across the world. My goal is to have 10,000 people doing it pretty close, you know, with still those thousand that are doing it perfectly, right? I just want more people, not necessarily that I'm coaching, but that are doing this stuff, right? So if, for instance, if you say, hey, I want to be starting strength, but I have to do the sumo deadlift, or I have to squat high bar, cool. Hey, that's great. I want you to do that instead of, we're doing one-legged kettlebell What's RDLs? The difference that 90 to 100 percent in terms of your: So if I'm doing it 90 percent white? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any My difference. The I don't think there's any difference. I don't think there's any difference. I think right. that it's an irrational sort of desire to have people doing it perfectly. Everybody doing it perfectly, or they don't do it at all. I think <laughs> I may think it's irrational, and I think you miss out on a large swath of the population
1: way too so I if, ra- yeah. if you were to look at people that i train there are people who i have trained for years that still have major form problems that i have to still tell them the same stuff through the warm-ups and then they can kind of get it done and then there are people who do it perfectly uh, but i you know some of my highest performing lifters have form problems and they get expressed quite obviously at one RMS and still work on it, but you know, no one, very few people lift perfectly. So to to Jordan's point, like the difference between 90% and a hundred percent, no one's, no one does it a hundred percent. It's almost impossible. Yeah.
0: I think if you, you know, you start going down the line at 60%, now you're accepting squats well above parallel, you know, uh, hitched deadlifts, or you know, really rounded back stuff, or whatever. I'm still cool with it. I, oh well, because again, it's better than not training or doing silly stuff. I want to fix it, right? But this is just a bell curve. You're gonna have people who are at far end doing things awesome, right? You have people who are train wrecks. But the mo- main thing is, I want this bell curve to include a million people, and not a thousand. I want everybody training and the only way to make that happen is to accept that some people are going to screw it up and make you embarrassed that they're telling you they're doing your program or whatever but ultimately you just have to be psyched that they're training you know? all right last question how strong can i get even though i'm a little older this person asking was uh, 47 years of age david ricks 57 years old uh, showed up. Well, I think he was 55 at the time. Showed up to 2013 Raw Nationals in Orlando, Florida. The USAPL. USAPL. So it's an IPF affiliate in the United States. So he's walking around in a singlet that's 10 years old. I was like, that's vintage. And his shoes have been out of production for 10 or 15 years. And he smelled like Ben Gay. Like he took a bath and <laughs> just Ben. And you're like, what the heck? This. He's a Masters competitor. You don't gotta worry about him. He. Was the heaviest opening squat in my weight class by 10 kilos. He squatted above the world record at that time, so fast that the bar jumped off his back. <laughs> out benched everyone by over 10 kilos, out deadlifted everybody, one going away at 55. Set the world record on a squat in our weight class at 330 something kilos at 57. Anyway, that being said, he's been strong forever. You know? And I think what you see is really strong people stay strong for a pretty long time, and it, there's an inflection point that either training becomes less important, and an injury that won't go away happens, or uh, you know just the natural process of aging starts to go down. This is like your physical 401k, though. You get to keep making deposits. Superannuation, I'm sure. What's that? Superannuation, it's called, I'm sure. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And so, but you keep making deposits until you can no longer you can no longer do that, and then you're just gonna, instead of starting strength, it's ending strength.
1: Yes. <laughs> you do
0: your linear regression. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the point, uh, you know, the point where you can no longer add weight to the bar anymore is unknown. I mean, it depends. Robin, Robin's 73. And yeah. there,
1: are, there are a lot of older trainees that aren't necessarily trained. And who haven't lifted through their lives that get quite strong and get stronger than what they were able to do at much younger ages so it's not like oh it's just all downhill from here you know even at uh more advanced ages people still can get quite strong i think it's all downhill for me well i agree <laughs> i'm just chasing form of glory i agree yeah. i've been telling you that for a couple of years
0: <laughs> i peaked I no, no. You're just gonna. It's, what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up requiring more input to get a smaller output. Yeah. So it's to, the easiest way to explain this is like anabolic resistance. The older you get, the more protein you need to get the same muscle protein synthesis response. Okay. It's dietary protein. Uh, and as you get older and older and older, and less and less male, right? Then you need more and more protein. It's the same thing. You need. You'll need more and more training, accumulated fatigue, right? Now that's relative, right? to make a smaller increase in your strength. Mm. And at some point, <laughs> you, well, no, your ac- stress accumulation phase is too long yeah. and you actually, your strength is decaying and so you never end up going back higher than where you were before. So yeah, strength ac- acquisition and strength decay are happening at the same time. They're co-occurring, right? If you're productively strength training, the strength accumulation outweighs the strength decay. Yep. And at some point, due to aging, disease, priorities, whatever, strength decay is, a, is gonna win, just over time. It's like the Grim Reaper, the Gaines Reaper. <laughs> that's the t-shirt.
1: Oh Boy, that's gonna be a powerful marketing thing, the Gaines Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> telling you, telling you you're gonna die, and you're gonna get weaker, and yeah. Ending strength. Yeah, ending strength.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be uh, Omega that'll be the sign. Omega strength. Yeah. All right. Thanks again for watching. Hit like. If you dug the video, comment below about what you want to see next. If you're on iTunes or if you're listening to this in podcast form, leave us a review. It helps us out more than you know. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.